Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Strong USA podcast. Episode 20. We're into the 20. 20s. Two decades. Or Not like a couple of months. A <laughs> couple of months. Nothing, nothing super wild. I'm looking at the picture I was trying to send you. Uh, Christy just sent me this dog that has one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. Oh, in like looks, broken something or no? I don't like know. A gross like, or what? It's got like its paw up with like this like tape around it, but it's like the Karen of dogs, but like the ninety-year-old Karen of dogs. Oh no, poor thing. Ugly, fugly. That she's that she's seeing right now, taking care of. I guess so. She just she just texted it to me, and there was no no comment attached. Just just this homely dog, just pain and misery. Just pain and misery. Yeah, nothing, nothing spectacular there. Let me tell you. But hey, what are you gonna do? So what's going on, man? I just heard little man in the background. He was he was cooing a little bit. Yeah, he's rolling around, singing, making noise. We'll see if we hear him in the back today at all. But that's... probably will. It's okay. Listeners will appreciate it. They'll get like a good. Ch- oh, there you go. They'll get like a good chuckle out of out of him. Just like um numbing whatever he's messing with over there, Mister Ellison. Right. Just playing, having a good time, like always. Of course, of course. That's the only way, only way it can be. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna deep dive on some some pain today, specifically because as anyone who's been watching the world of golf has seen, the story of the week kind of is Bryson being hurt because of his speed training, and no one's really certain if it's because he ate shit and fell, or his wrist was hurting already before that because of the speed training he was doing. And the skin on his hands was hurting because of the speed training. It's kind of all a wash, and it's from Bryson, so God only knows. But we felt it a good opportunity to probably chat a little bit about pain specifically and what that looks like in golf and really the misconceptions that exist because pain in golf is just full of crap. You know, there's just a lot of um, – I don't have we used the word nocebo on here yet? No, I don't think so. I think that's first. Ooh. I like it. I like it. So, Pete, you guys have all heard of placebo, right? Which is a, a positive effect coming from something. Well, a nocebo is a negative effect, essentially, a, arising from something. So, it would be a, you know, nocebic effect if we said, hey, the harder you swing your golf club, the more likely you are to tear your rotator cuff. And you're going to avoid swinging hard because you might tear your rotator cuff. That's not really necessarily how that works. That's that's a that might not be my best example ever. Tim, you got do you have a better example? But that's no. I mean, that's usually what you hear, right? Where it's like uh, if you all if you hit don't hit too many balls because you're going to wear out like the right side of your spine or something. Or you're going to wear out your spine rotating in one direction. Yeah, right. you know that's when that's when you hear a lot uh, from people. Yeah. You're going to hurt your back. Like no matter what the golf golf is going to hurt your back because we're not biomechanically designed to hit a golf ball. Eh? I don't, yeah. I don't know. You can, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail, but you can, you can make anything work, right? It's all just a spectrum of what you're doing every, you know, training wise, practice wise, playing yeah, it all combines. hundred percent. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that, get an idea for kind of what pain looks like in golf and discuss this Bryson thing, sort of kind of probably just be more of a lead into to having this overall pain discussion. But um, it's important that we talk 
kind of about the i think the golf world you know golf magazines and golf.com all of these different media outlets they've just done a really poor job of they're trying to give people good information about handling pain in golf and in all reality they're giving them these bad nocebo driven narratives where like negative things are coming from playing golf so i'll give you an example i had a guy the other day give me a call it's like hey you know i've been playing golf for the last like 20 years every orthopedist i've ever gone to see has told me that eventually i'm probably going to have to have some kind of spine surgery like i'm probably like i had a couple herniated discs from high school and they told me that more likely than not you know that my back pain is caused by the fact that i do so much twisting when i play golf he's like i only play golf twice a week i only play nine holes but i've had so much back pain my whole life you know my si joint slips out of place all the time which a chiropractor oh, told boy. me a couple of years back and so he's given me this whole story of like every doctor medical professional he's ever seen has told him that pain is resulting from all of these, you know, golfing has caused his pain, which is a sport he's supposed to love. His SI joint is going out of place, which I don't, yeah, my, words, my words can't describe how frustrating that is, that that's still something spoken. Yeah. I mean, I think we can just keep it simple and say that uh, the SI joint is an arch, right? Where you have your sacrum and your hips, hip bones. And it's an arch, and the arch is literally the strongest shape in architecture. Mm -hmm. So why would it be any different in your body? And it moves a grand total of a couple, couple millimeters. millimeters. That's it. Yeah. At most. And you can't, you know, in we put it like this. In the event that your SI joint comes out of place, you have been stepped on by a hippopotamus. Yeah, or like terrible car accident. You probably have much, much bigger concerns than your pelvis being out of out of place. Yeah, not not those things. But anyways, my point to that being is that this guy is talking about having chronic low back pain, but his whole life he's basically been told that everything he does causes pain. It's like, well, the only way that I can get it back into place is if someone like adjusts me or like pulls on my leg and it cracks back into place and it's it's relocating back. And you know, you hate to talk to people. And anyone listening to this, I'm not saying this to upset you, like oh my God, like you're telling me that this is all fake and it's all in my head. No, what I'm telling you is that we can't think of our bodies as being that fragile. And one of the things that golf has done is it's treated human beings, it's treated golfers as somewhat being fragile. And to get out of being fragile, they tell them to stretch to death, which is crazy. Absolutely freaking nuts. But so I guess, what do you feel? So I guess that was one like quick misconception in my mind is that the stuff that they give, what do you see in the world of golf specifically? That's just this big misconception when it comes to pain. Well, I think that to touch on that one a little bit that I think is similar is that the, um, like you talked about the body being a car when we talked a couple of weeks ago, but in a different context, right? We were talking about right, how it's, right, right. if you get an injury, you don't do anything. It's like parking a car in the garage and you never right. take it out. And then you expect to, you expect it to start and run fine the next time you take it out. Yeah. In, in golf, a lot of times you see the, the kind of negative nocebo explanation of your body as a car where you're just putting miles on it. And it's a matter of time before you need an oil change and then your brakes go and then your tires go and you need, you know, and it just rusts out eventually and mm -hmm. dies. Right your body is not like that at all. Like that, that's the, 
uh, description, I'd say, if you like sleep terribly, never exercise, eat like junk, drink all the time, like then yes, that's what you're doing to your body, right? You're just rusting, you're just yeah. rusting out your car. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there are many, many, many different ways that you can live and to, like drive your car, you know, like a, like the, what are those cam, what's the car that you can drive like 500,000 miles Camrys from like the eighties, you know? Oh yeah. I people mean, put like 400,000. Like the old Accords. Yeah, exactly. You just, people can drive them literally forever. And then I don't know, eventually someone just gets rid of it, but it would st still drive. Like there are people <laughs> like that. Like that's the Gary players of the world, right? Yeah. He's yeah. nine, like 90 and he's still, he's hit more golf swings than you and I combined. Times a hundred. Yeah. And I still saw a thing of him the other day, bending over, grabbing a ball. Like it was just nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's done, he does some crazy stuff. Like he, I mean, maybe not crazy, but he like swings lefty a hundred times a day or something like that. Cause he wants to balance out his spine. And what you hear from people a lot, they're like, this is, yeah. you know, I need to balance myself out. So that's, that definitely plays a role. So, yeah, but I think it, we can talk about that as like, if you're in the gym, if you're doing a balanced program, right, you should be pretty balanced. That's true. Right. I mean, that's maybe true. in the golf, like when you get into, if you play like 36 holes, maybe you feel unbalanced because you've only swung righty a bunch of times, but. Because you only swing righty. I, see, but I make the same, I think about that and I go, does anyone throw a baseball left-handed to even themselves out? No. Does anybody right? shoot a basketball left-handed? Maybe make layups left-handed. But, but like no that's one more extras when they shoot. Yeah, that's more to avoid defenders. That's not to avoid wear and right. tear. Like people don't do things. There's a reason there's no ambidextrous golfers. You're that's not, hard. <laughs> super hard. And it's not necessarily going to improve anything necessarily. Like you have like switch hitters yeah. in baseball, but for the most part, they hit one direction. And again, that's strategy, right? That's like, okay, I just want the pitcher to have to mentally think about this, or I can see the ball better this way or the other. It's not. It's not a wear and tear thing. If you ask any of those guys. Right. Anyways, our point to that being is that we are asymmetrical beings. Mm -hmm. Asymmetry does not mean pain. Matter of fact, let's, uh, let's go back. What is, let's define pain. So the current kind of definition of pain we have, and there was a new one that just came out, but the, the most recent one I have is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. Right, that was the International Association for the Study of Pain. Uh, I think I want to say the guys at Barbell Medicine might have come out with uh, or the Lancet. Somebody came out with a new one recently that a lot of people disagreed with. But that is essentially an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage, which I actually think we can stop there. So let's break that down a little bit so that you know listeners can understand it. We talk about. One of the things you didn't hear in there is that pain is driven by pain receptors. It's not the experience of pain associated with a certain receptor. Right. So do we have pain receptors, Tim? We don't. No. I know. We, we do. No. We do have, like, people will talk about pain fibers. And if you're, if you're deeper in the science, nociceptors. Mm -hmm. Right. But to keep it simple, those are pretty much just like chemical detectors. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've got stuff that detects chemicals. We've got stuff that, that detects pressure, tension. We've got stuff that detects temperature change. 
That's about it, though. Fascinating. That's right. We do right. not have pain receptors. Pain receptors are not a thing. People want to think that way, but we do not have, per se, pain receptors. That's why that definition says an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. So what that's basically saying to you is that tissue damage does not equal pain. It can equal pain, but it does not equal pain. We have talked on this podcast about when we're talking about backs, herniated discs. Most people that have them have no idea and they have no pain. That is tissue damage, not resulting in pain. Most people at some point in their lives are going to have multiple rotator cuff tears. Absolutely no pain. Very symptomatic, right? So pain is much more broad and much more dense. It is very nuanced. And we have to understand that. And it is a personal, subjective experience. Pain is all about you, the individual, how you were taught, how people told you about pain, uh, past experiences, past injuries, Mm -hmm. um, how you sleep, how you're eating. Do you exercise? All of those things play a role in pain. So now let's look at that from the lens of the golf world. If pain is influenced by the people around you and golf.com is telling us that, you know, swinging really golf is really hard on the body and thus you're going to have pain. You're basically a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not a great start. Not a great start. Cause just, I mean, imagine someone telling you this, like, all right, get into this sport. Uh, eventually in 50 years, you're probably going to be injured and crippled and you might not enjoy it anymore, but go ahead and do it. Yeah. That sounds appealing. Like that sounds like it's going to have a good outcome. Can't wait to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also dangerous for you to go drive your car. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that are dangerous. Uh, and again, you take inherent risk by doing anything. Exactly. And how do you how do you mitigate that risk? Prepare, right? And then something might ha- like who knows something might happen, and that stinks. You might get injured. You might herniate a disc while you're on the course. I mean, that could happen. Yeah. Could happen. For all things could have already happened. I think yeah. the one thing that that's a, a misnomer here, misconception, anyways, is that we treat golf as if doing the sport will result in all of these issues as opposed to no swinging hard is not going to necessarily herniate discs because you could have already had many herniated discs just by the luck of the draw. You could have had rotator cuff tears from rolling out of bed wrong. Uh, It could be from a host of things. It's not golf specifically resulting in that injury. Could it be? Sure. But in my experience, I could have somebody come in and say, Hey, you know, slammed my club into the ground, you know, grounded it real hard, super chunky. And my shoulder has been killing me for a couple of days. Okay. Let's do a few things here, there. Okay. How's it feel? And eh, you know, if it's a little bit better, still sore. Okay. A couple weeks later, how's it feeling? We tried a few new things out. What's going on now? It's like, yeah, it feels pretty good. Well, three months from then they could go get an MRI and show three rotator cuff tears, but they're playing golf and having no issues. So was there pain from hitting the ground or was it, the brain's perception of hitting the ground being dangerous. Right. Who knows? No, we don't know. And I think that's the, I think that rather than just thinking that that is a, you know, that striking the ground, feeling that pain is just automatically a negative thing. If you think, okay, like that could have happened 
doing anything or that could have happened to anyone that could have hurt that could have not hurt it, it helps you at least put it into perspective and not just make that immediate panic of like oh shit here we go yeah i like right. thinking of it so one of the ways that i describe describe pain to people is like a radar system on a ship mm. so think of it you are a submarine and you've got your radar system going out right sending out its circles and ding, ding, ding. however that works clearly you can tell i worked on submarines never so you've got your sonar system, right? You've got your, your radar system and you catch a blip out, I don't know, 200 yards. Well, that system is designed to alert you regardless of whatever that blip is, because its job is to keep you safe. So in the event that that's an enemy submarine, the alarm has to go off because that submarine has to know that there's danger coming, right? It's a very fuzzy image though. You can't really tell what it is. It's just a dot. That dot could be an enemy sub. It could also be a friendly whale. The boat doesn't care. The submarine doesn't care, right? It wants to protect that ship. So it sets the alarm off. Think of that like your brain sending signals out, which is what your brain does. It's constantly getting info in and sending info out, right? It gets a blip on the radar and it says, you know, I don't really know what that is. And my job is to keep you safe. And thus, I'm going to set the alarm off. And that can be pain. Now, that little fuzzy blip, the brain's job is to figure out, is it actually dangerous? That's a fair thing to consider, right? Is whatever I just saw actually dangerous? So what the, what the brain's trying to do is make that image more clear of whatever is, excuse me, setting it off, right? We stub our toe. And the brain is like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what's going on, but that's terrible. A couple of minutes later, you're like, oh, it's perfectly fine. The brain has realized that that actually wasn't detrimental. It's not scary. The body is OK. We're not in any risk of not being able to live. Right. OK, let's let's clean that up. And over time, you want your brain radar, so to speak, to get better at quantifying what is and is not dangerous. And that really only happens with time. But that is driven by social factors and family factors and how you've handled pain in the past, how much you've slept, et cetera, et cetera. Cause people will report that certain things hurt for no reason. What was the, um, what's the guy's name from Australia? Oh, Lorimer Mosley. Yeah. The snake Lorimer in the bush. Mosley. Yeah. The snake in the bush. So for anyone who's never seen that, we'll, we'll drop a link in here. Cause that's a, a perfect yeah. example of this. He basically goes out into the woods and feels like he kind of like stepped on a stick and it kind of hit him. And all of a sudden, within a couple of minutes, he's like getting rushed to the hospital because he got bit by a. I forget, some poisonous snake. I can't remember exactly. Brown what. brown snake? Not a brown snake. It's like the most poisonous snake in Africa, which is a funny thing to say because all of the lethal snakes live in Africa. But or Australia. Australia, Australia. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Australia. Whatever it was. And then, you know, fast forward a few months, he's walking through the woods and feels something similar and like hits the ground in the most severe pain he's ever been in. Meanwhile, he actually did just step on a stick yeah. because his brain's last memory was you got bit by something that nearly killed you. My alarm is super sensitive to that exact experience. Yeah. Or there, I forget. There's a story of I don't, I don't know what the guy's name was, but a uh, um, construction worker working and then stepped on a nail and it went through his boot. Right. And he had se like searing pain. He couldn't walk on his foot. He was like, oh, my God, what's going on? They went to the hospital, took off his boot, 
and it had gone between his big toe and his second toe. So it hadn't gone through his foot, just went through the shoe. And it was like, and then he was instantly fine. He walked out. He was totally, but he literally, you know, he had throbbing pain. He couldn't walk. The, if you read the, the hospital notes, it's crazy. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy might have to have his foot amputated. And didn't even touch. It's true. So it's crazy. <laughs> we're going off on so many tangents. This is the most fun podcast ever. But you, yeah, but you think, right? Like the radar goes off. What happens? How do you find, figure out that that's a friendly boat or not or whatever? Uh, how do you talk, know that you, that nail? How, how do you know the nails in your foot are not in your foot? Right, you got to look at the area. You got to see what you're feeling. You got to maybe, you know, some of the bolder people might have tried to take their boot off or tried to cut it open or do something. Who knows? But that's that's part of the process is assessing it's very the subjective. Yeah, and you got to assess the area, assess what you've experienced, assess you know what you're feeling, what's going on around you, and then that generates that experience, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's something that I want to, and so before we get too far ahead, understand that pain is real. Whatever pain you experience is real pain. We're not saying that what you're feeling isn't real pain. We're just saying that that pain isn't necessarily caused by something being sinister. Yeah. Or broken or torn or anything like that. Right. Right. People, I'll use the stub toe example. People stub their toes all the time. And it is one of the worst things ever. Same thing as like banging your shin against the side of a table. Yeah, it's awful. The and if, worst. And if you look down, right, and you see everything's normal, it's just like red and it hurts a lot. Like, okay, you hop around a little bit and then it feels fine in five, 10 minutes. Right. You look down and your toes facing sideways, you're probably feeling and reacting very, very differently. Well, they've done all those studies before or seen people. So we'll use the example of car accidents where people get into like a car accident and then they like get, to, they go to step out of their car. And they like step down and their foot is just destructed. And they had really? no idea their foot was broken. Wow. Until they looked at it. Yeah, they look at yeah. their foot and they're like, oh, and then like the shock factor hits the roof, right? Yeah. That was uh, just, Kevin. That was Kevin Ware too on Louisville. Yes. Yes. He no said he idea. didn't feel anything until he looked at the bench and he saw them like disgusted and like almost throwing up. Out, and he looked yeah. down and was like, oh, man. This is bad. That was an awful injury. <laughs> uh, oh, Terrible. Oh. Oh. Should we put that in here or is that torture? People probably want to see it. Yeah, let's do it for sure. Graphic I'll content. Throw, I'll throw a quick, yeah, I'll throw a warning, and like a, a trigger warning and then a trigger warning. warning. <laughs> <laughs> Beware, if you toss your cookies easy, do not watch the next five seconds. Do not watch this. It's true though, because those injuries are nasty, but a lot of people are unawares of them until they actually yeah. get a visual perception of what has happened. Right. It's just a lot of it is driven by past experiences. I think I don't want to describe pain as a bad memory, but think of it kind of like a memory. Like for any of us that have rolled our ankles or we've done stuff like I am the first to admit this. And Christian would joke about this sometimes where we'll like do something and I'll like roll my ankle. I say roll my ankle like my foot will kind of invert a little bit, stepping off a curve. And I'll be like, ow, ow, ow. And in my mind, I'm like, wait a second, that didn't hurt at all. Yeah. But I was, I was thinking, well, the last time that my foot's in this position and I did that, I rolled my ankle and that really hurt. It got puffy and blew up. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 time out, time out. That didn't actually hurt. But I'm almost like subconsciously saying, wait a second, I have to protect this because this is a dangerous position. Like when we say things hurt that actually don't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Or like little kids say, ow, after everything, they're just like, ow. Ow, ow. It's like, no, it doesn't. 
I mean, which they're uh, learning from something. Right. Exactly. It's coming from somewhere. So how you think about uh, and react to pain totally affects, like we said, affects people around you. You're affected by the people around you. I like yeah, that description. I like that description of memory though, because you can have, you have good and bad memories, right? Like you have that 100%. bad memory of the terrible ankle sprain where it was swollen for six or seven days and took a, you know, a month and a half till you were back to normal. Then you also have good memories. Like I, you know, maybe you have a feeling of stretch when you're doing a particular exercise, right? Like I know a yeah. bad feeling yeah. in my shoulder yeah. doing benching versus like, oh, that's the good kind of stretched like exertion that I want. It's like a burn. Well, it's when we try to describe things to people. Like, is it a burning stretch? Is it a is it a yeah, painful that's... stretch? Is it a tingling stretch? Like, it's so point. hard to quantify those things because to yeah. some people, when it burns, they're like, "This is super painful." And you're like, "Yeah, we had a lady wow. today. I was I worked per diem uh, at a clinic down the street. A lady walked in today saying her knee was eight out of ten pain, and it's like yeah. you're you're walking without a limp, and you just sat on the table and bent it up and everything." And that hurts you, you know, it's crazy. I really, and the pain scale has been so abused. Yeah. It's, it's such an abuse. It's, it's a helpful metric sometimes, right? Yeah, but but then, I usually use it when it's getting back to doing things. Like I've, we've talked about this on here before, like the level of pain necessary to continue exercising versus we need to change something, which right. is like that four out of 10 subjective pain, right? right. You can the do the movement. Light. You're not having to limp. You're not having to, you know, maybe we change the depth or what have you, but that's it. But even then, like, you're like, okay, what's your pain out of 10, zero, nothing, 10, you need to be on a morphine drip now. Right. Like right. fentanyl needs to be flowing through your veins or something. And they're like, eh, probably a 12. <laughs> right. It's tough to judge too. Cause there's like a more, I, I had a friend one time who was like, Hey, uh, I'm dealing with this knee pain. I went to the doctor. He asked me what number it was. I didn't want to sound like a bitch. So I said three, but it actually like really hurts. And I kind of wanted to say seven and I was like, so that, that you have that, if you're playing those mental games too, uh, like try not to look weak or have a high pain tolerance yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know, it's yeah. It, I, I like to use it at like the stoplight and then as a gauge of like how, how much it's affecting someone. Right. Cause if you, if you have the same, you and I have the same level of pain, but maybe I still go to the gym and can work and stuff. Maybe I value, like value it less. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing a lot with this pain. Maybe it's like a three. Maybe you're yeah. not going to the gym anymore. You can only do half your job. Maybe you're saying it's a six out of 10 because you're like, Ooh, I really can't do much. And that could be self self-imposed. That could be work imposed. That could, yeah. you know, if your trainer believes that any little wiggle of pain or niggle yeah. of pain yeah. is like, you need to shut it down. That right. could, you know, which is probably more the stance of to, I'm going to say today's culture more than anything right. else is that like, if you have pain, it's automatically bad, which, philosophically speaking is just complete garbage like yeah. like the world i would say living is suffering so to speak like we are not immortal beatings beatings immortal <laughs> beings you know we are not able to avoid cuts and scrapes and bruises and breaks you know we cannot avoid those things being let down and struggling those are all guarantees in life and the quicker that we accept the fact that that is a part of life the better off we will be it's not about you know, getting rid of pain most of the time. It's about handling pain in an effective and graceful way. Because pain's going to exist, whether it's a six out of 10, three out of 10, 15 out of 10. I don't know what your pain is, but to act as if it is nothing isn't going to help you. No, it's, it's not, it's not going to help you. We want to 
think about treating pain as a part of life. Now, we don't want it to debilitate you. We don't want you to be in pain. No one wants to be in pain. I'm not happy when I can't walk on my ankle because I sprained the shit out of it. I'm not like, oh, I love this. I embrace it. (laughs) However, think about like Muay Thai fighters or dudes who are having their shins beaten to death. It kind of depends on what you're into. (laughs) Like some people are into that kind of stuff. Yeah, some people are like tattooed head to toe because they just love the feeling of, you know, yeah. getting a tattoo. Yeah. Like that, yeah. I don't know. You, you have freaks all over the place. Yeah, it's that's a hundred percent. Like some people like love that that feeling. Like they talk about this with um, Marines and SEALs and Dave Goggins, obviously, because he's a savage. He's one of the guys who's just like, I just, I just love it. Like I love that feeling of like my skin falling off. It's like, <laughs> yeah, all right, dude. Uh, all right, bro. I if love you, death, but you are, you are off the reservation. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to duct tape my shins together or get like five liters of fluid drained out of my knees at a time. Like that's just, nah, I'm sure that's not in the cards for me. I'm, I'm I don't want to, I don't want to break the pull up record so bad that I literally am looking at the sinew of my hands. Right, my tendons right. are coming out. I'm like looking at my hand work like underneath. Like, nah, I'm, I'm no. good. We love you, but just keep it, bro. Yeah, you can do that. I'll watch you do that and be motivated by it. 100, 100, 100%. So, uh, you know, the point of all this being is that pain is complex. It is not simple. And in the golf world, we try to make it so black and white. Like, oh, well, you know, this arm angle is causing your shoulder pain or this is causing your pain. It's a slippery slope to go down. Are there things that we can associate? Sure. So, for example, I've got a guy right now, left hip pain what he plays. He feels like every time he comes down from impact and through his hip, like locks on him. Like it just like, why he, however, whatever his description of it is, it's like locking and it feels like it can't unlock, so to speak. And it really hurts like deep into his joint younger guy. I was like, okay. I was like, do me a favor. I want you to toe out 30 degrees, 20 degrees. Just see how it feels. Just toe your foot out. Cause they'll create a little bit more when you externally rotate your mm-hmm. hip you have more space. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, that actually does help. Like, okay. Swing like that. Right now. Yeah. Is that a mechanical thing? Possibly could also just be that the brain is tired of being in that position. Cause again, that's a signal that position of the foot and that feeling you get, the brain continues to get and goes, wait a second. I don't like this. I don't like this. Right. That toe out is a little different position. The hip also has a little bit more space, so to speak. And it's comfortable. So let's golf like that. It's no different than, hey, a full swing bothers me, but a three-quarter swing feels fine. Right. Three-quarter swing. Yeah. Or no golf. wrong with that? Or no – yeah. Pick uh, pick which one. Three-quarter swing sounds fine to me. Like, I'll go play with a three-quarter swing. 100%. I just had a conversation with a guy this morning, really older gentleman, coolest dude ever. Wicked nice guy. Just wants to go back and play golf. He's like, I just – I'm depressed because my body has just failed me and he's had all sorts of cancers and, you know, just, but just a super nice, sweet guy. So today he's, you know, I just, I feel unbalanced when I get out there and I'm so scared, I'm so nervous and I'm afraid to hurt myself and to fall. And we just walked outside. I gave him a golf club. I said, Hey, I want you to go from like a nine to three. Give me a 50% swing. And I just want you to kind of do it like five or six times and never stop your club. Almost like you're kind of just whipping it back and forth. He did it a few times, put a ball down and just let him hit it. 
and he hit like a you know 40 yard ball dead straight. I was like, hey, you're playing golf. Yeah. Go do that three times, chip and putt, and voila, there you go. The game of golf, right? But he was so nervous and so scared, which pain is going to do to us. We don't want to be in pain, so we avoid it at all costs. Right. Which to a point is okay, but a certain level of pain can be expected. Handling it and not letting it own our lives is very important. Pain should not create so much fear that we're unwilling to do anything, especially in golf. Right. Well, here's your choice again, right? Do you want temporary pain, like temporary discomfort, right? And then most of the time, let's say you're uncomfortable 10% of the time and you're comfortable 90 or you could have the opposite of like uncomfortable 90% of the time, comfortable 10, or you're just always constantly seeking that comfort, right? Like you're just always seeking just comfort, no discomfort. It's a, that's a battle that you're never going to win. Yeah. And now, unfortunately, we have all these quick fixes for everything. Yeah. We have the Theraguns and we have this and that. And don't get me wrong. I have no problem with any of those implements. People always ask me, they're like, oh, are you like anti-Theragun and anti-foam roller? I'm like, no. Yeah, it's a I tool. use it myself. Yeah. yeah, like it feels nice. But that's after I've either gone for a run, gone to the gym, played golf. It's not just because. Yeah, it's, it's not for giggles. But if I'm like sore somewhere or if I have a client who's sore, I'm like, hey, I had a lady today. She's like, hey, my, my QL on my left side, I think is bothering me. Left side pain. Like, okay. And I was like, give it like a quick 30 seconds of foam rolling or, you know, give it like the Theragun for 30 seconds. The point of that being to desensitize the region for everyone listening. The Theragun is not some magical tool that breaks up fascia and pummels muscles. It desensitizes. I don't, I don't give a better description than that because it's no, no, your perception change. Yeah, no, your tissues are so strong that if if it was possible to actually break it up with, um, you know, with a Theragun or foam rolling, like then every time you hit your shin on the coffee table, you would be dist- literally your shin would rip in half. And that doesn't happen. Right. Or like if you stubbed your toe, your foot, you'd probably lose like the outside half of your foot. 100% be gone. If you were that. Or you'd watch football every weekend and there would be spinal cord injuries on every single play. <laughs> and there aren't, right? Those are so rare. I mean, they happen and they're terrible, right? But that's part of the you, risk of the game. You do not want your fascia to move. No. You really it don't. It doesn't for the most part. It doesn't. What is it? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what it was. It might have been. I'll mention the guys from Barbell Medicine again, which if anybody on here wants great info. They always just have excellent blogs, excellent articles. The guys over there are fantastic. But I think Derek over there was talking about how many slaps it would take to like cook a turkey or something, (laughs) like how much force it would take to do that. And then they got talking about like how much force it would take to like cut fascia or move fascia like humanly. Yeah. It's like a couple thousand pounds of force. Yeah. Your IT band is like around a thousand pounds of force to move to move one percent yeah i think it's a one percent change yeah one percent change a thousand at least a thousand pounds of force yeah no one can do that except maybe like the what what's the heaviest squat in the world like 1100 so maybe if they were like squatting and pulling on it somehow 
scapel. But I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. A scapel is the only thing messing with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's it's true. Like we you shouldn't want to change that. But unfortunately, we live in a world where people make a shit ton of money off of telling people that their pain is caused by tightness of their fascia and tightness of this and tightness of that. And this Theragun is going to fix it or this fascial technique is going to fix it or, oh, I can fix your pain by doing all these exercises. Understand something. There is no magical correction to pain. Like doing just because you have a strong core doesn't mean you're not going to have back pain. Right. You, I mean, you mentioned uh, Laura Mosley with his hiking story, right? With the branch and the snake, but he's so he, ironically, it's, I would say funny, but it's not, it's really not funny, but it's ironic. He's like one of the leading researchers in pain, right? And doing right. and teaching and all that. He's had chronic shoulder pain for like 25 years. <laughs> Where, and he had openly admits it. He's like, it frustrates me to no end because he'll do things and unassumingly one weekend, you know, all of a sudden it's back and it's there for two months and then he gets rid of it and it's good for six months. He's like, I, he's like, I, I have no idea what, what is going on in my body. And I know oh. so much about this topic. Eternally frustrating. Yeah. And just happened. That's just what it is. Well, and to our point that we made earlier again, and he would be the first to say this, it's not about avoiding pain. It's about learning what to do when you have it. Because right. it's inevitable. To avoid it is actually silly because then your expectation doesn't get met that you're going to avoid pain the rest of your life. It's like, what are you going to do? Live in a bubble? Right. No, not yet. You can't live in the metaverse yet. Maybe in like a few years, you can just live in the metaverse and be a blob on the couch. It's going to be black mirror. Just comfort all the time. Yeah. What was the, what was that movie that was like, it was a kid, it was like a cartoon where they're like, these people were just all like morbidly obese on this like boat. Oh, wasn't it uh, Up? Wasn't it that up, movie? It was up. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I always think of Up as like the grandpa in the beginning. It's just like the saddest thing in the world. But I yeah, know, that, that is, that's Up. But that's yeah. essentially like people want all these comforts. Like it's just all comforting and like nothing good comes without pressure or pain or any of those things to create change. You have to have pressure. You have to be pre like diamonds are not created by lack of pressure. It's a cliche thing that people use all the time, but it's true. Muscles don't grow without being pushed upon, so to speak, or utilized where they have to fight against a resistance. You know, courage doesn't come without having something to overcome. <laughs> I, th I thought you lost it for a second. <laughs> I thought you courage lost a quote. Come without courage and, <laughs> and bravery, and courage, and pain, snakes, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Just lose your train of thought. We're gonna do like right. the old Louis Armstrong, where he would like lose the words, and that's how he came up, or like would do some of his scat, and he would be like, blah, blah. He'd, yeah, he'd be like singing. The, what a wonderful. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I have no idea what's coming next. But then he would do that and people would be like, oh, that's my shit. <laughs> uh, I don't know how we got up on that tangent. But anyways, be either. courageous. Yeah. Damn it. That's it. You need, yeah, oil, diamonds, all expensive things in the world. Take pressure. All good things. But I, I don't know. We're all over the place chatting about pain today, but there's just, it's a, it's a really complex topic. Biggest yeah. things are the biggest issues that I see are that we get a lot of info saying that you're going to have pain if you do this in golf, you know, 
Bryson DeChambeau is going to have back pain. He's going to have wrist pain. Tiger Woods is going to have back pain. He's going to have wrist pain. All of his surgeries are because of him swinging really hard and going to the gym and blah, 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 blah. Right? Okay. Then Gary Player is just some weird anomaly. Right. Or any of those guys. Like, I mean, Jack can still play and he has ter- like crazy arthritis. Uh, not rheumatoids, but it's something like that. It's not joint, like Greg joint Norman. Arm. Yeah. I mean, these guys are all, I mean, shoot, John Daly's still slinging it. And that's not the healthiest human being I've ever seen. No, I think he clinically died at one point. They brought they resuscitated him. They oh, took yeah. out the paddles. Are you kidding so, me? I mean, like he died, got to the pearly gates and they were like, hold on. This, we need, yeah, yeah, yeah. we nah. need some time, bro. We need yeah, some we're time. not ready. We, gotta get, we need that. We gotta, we gotta get this place ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how it works. But it's yeah. it's it's more complicated than just X or A plus B equals C. It's not as easy as if you swing really hard, it's going to result in this. Understand that tissue damage does occur when the load applied to the tissue exceeds its capacity to handle it. That's how hamstring tears occur and Achilles ruptures occur and strains occur of any kind. It's just that the tissue, the load placed on it, exceeded its ability to handle it. And that could be because of fatigue. It could be because the load was just too high. It could be a host of things. And that can result in pain. No question about it. Anyone that's rolled their ankle before or strained their hamstring knows that it doesn't feel great. But you've also got people that have severe pain. And you look at an extra MRI and they have nothing physically wrong with them. But they are 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah. What, how do you explain that? It's tough. Science. Science. Yeah, maybe let, let's finish up with uh, what do you think is going on with Bryson? Because I think the leading... Well, if it's true that he fell... Which... Right. I, think that, I think that it all hinges on that, right? Because you'll hear, we hear from the golf uh, people that are against training and strength training and speed training. That yeah, it's all it's about that. that, yeah. But if he fell, yeah, if he fell and he actually hurt his hip and he actually like landed on his wrist weird and, actually, and hurt his wrist and was playing a lot of golf, with a potential wrist injury. I mean, that's a whole different story. So the stuff that I'm also reading too, that I think is kind of funny is that people are saying that he was having wrist issues prior to all of this, which I get, but to that end, if he was having wrist issues and then fell on his wrist, well, right. It would thus make sense that, okay, it's now hurting worse. Right. Like in my mind, I'm kind of like, Oh, you know, I've been having some shoulder pain when I'm playing golf. And then, you know, I went to open my door and it pulled on me really hard or my dog yanked my arm and I hurt my shoulder. Well, you might have already had some issue issue going on and it was exacerbated by said fall. So he might have been okay had the fall not happened, but now it's happened and thus he's having issues with it. So I I don't know. It's all up in the air. It is. And the guy now, to be fair, we can all agree on this. The guy hits in ridiculous amount of golf balls super friggin' hard yeah i mean so his volume yeah so his volume's way up there he hits a lot of balls and his intensity is way up there because he talks about his intensity how he like does you know all sorts of drills before to really jack himself up breathing stuff his friends are always you know pushing him around and screaming at him i mean that's high intensity stuff yeah it's i mean he's He's getting juiced up. I mean, he's really trying to kill the ball, right? So to be fair, in the event that he's having a lot of other factors involved, like how is his sleep? I'm sure his sleep and diet and all those things are pretty well kept. But 
in the event that he's got an injury and he doesn't have proper time to recover from it or what have you, it makes sense that he's going to have some kind of discomfort. I think if you were to screen every PGA tour pro right now, they're all dealing with something. Definitely. And if they got into a car accident, it would make sense that maybe that would be exacerbated. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes down to like what, so what, what was his practice like before, right? How much was he actually doing not long drive stuff? Cause that's new, but just like trying to hit the ball really far. And then when he updated his stuff, whenever it was two years ago, when he started like really getting after it in the gym, like what was that jump? Was he only doing like 5% max driver swings before? And now he's doing like 30 or 35% of all his swings are max driver swings. Right, right, right. Like that's huge. And then that, and then what's the solution to that? Who knows? Maybe it's go down to 20%. Maybe it's go all the way back down to five and ramp it back up better. Who who knows? And that's what his team is probably trying to figure out is like, how do, how do we mix this up? But that's really what you got to look at is what was he doing before? How much did his training train, uh, chaining? Wow. My tongue just got tied in a knot. How much did his training change? Twaining, twain. <laughs> Hunting <Wow>. rabbits. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, how much did his training change? And then, you know, is there, was it too much? Because it could be. Who knows? I don't know what he's doing. I see videos, yeah. but I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, and, and really, he's the only person in his coaches, trainers, only person, which yeah. is why, like, with the people speculating all this stuff on both sides of the argument, I think is foolish. Like, oh, like this exercise stuff is bad. He's doing too much. This power stuff is bad. It's bad for the sport. It's bad for this. No, it's good that they're exploring yeah. things that are a little different. Like it's it's going to change. At the end of the day, the top 20 money earners in the world are the longest drivers. I hate to yeah. break that to everybody, but in the PGA game, maybe not the amateur game because there's so many other factors involved, but in the PGA Tour game, the further you hit it, the more money you tend to make. So it's not the whole putt for dough thing anymore. It's drive yeah. for dough at this point. Yeah. Because no, putting for it. most people is very up and down. But if yeah. you can hit and, it far, all of a sudden you're making more money. Right. And putting actually gets worse after like the age of 27 or 28 on average. So right. if, once you get past that, then putting's really going downhill. You've got to maximize whatever distance you have. 100%. Because that's so your advantage. I, yeah. I, I think the arguments around it are, are somewhat silly. He's just such yeah. a... And it, He's so polarizing, you know, and I've seen a bunch of PTs and trainers who have been like, oh, if I would, you know, I would have done this differently, that differently. It's all trial and error. Hell out of here. Right. Like his team just tried something. All right. Uh, It worked. Right. Because he got the result of hitting the ball a fucking met like shit mile. And maybe they just did a little too much of something. And now they're going to dial it, redo the formula and see if they can keep him pain free. Or to be fair, he's just a human being. Yeah. And guess and it what happens? People have injuries. Every player in the top 100 players right now on tour have dealt with an injury that's kept them out. We just haven't yeah. blamed it on their speed training because they're not posting about their speed training. Right. I guarantee you they're doing it. Most of them are doing it. Right. Like if you look at all these guys, they're all getting into these different positions and they have <clears throat> the struggles that they have. We're just not we're not upset about it because, Oh, well, they're not posting about how much they're trying to kill the ball and hit the ball. And okay. That doesn't mean anything. You know how many people have stopped like, Oh, I can't, you know, I got hurt. I can't go to this tournament. Oh, right. well, is it because they're speed training or is it just because they have bodies and guess what? Things can break it down. Hurts. sometimes. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. there's a, the, have you seen the documentary uh, on Andy Murray, the tennis player? 
Oh no, 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 no! But I so it's really, so it's really good. I forget the name of it, but it, uh, if you just Google Andy Murray uh, documentary or hip pain, it's really good. So quick summary: he has a ton of hip pain, nothing works. He goes to all different doctors, specialists, ends up having a hip replacement, right? right? And he talks in it so much about how how it makes him feel that he can't play tennis anymore. And he, you know, there's a whole backstory that I won't spoil, but essentially tennis had become such a thing in his life. It was how he dealt with, you know, anxiety. It's how he right. planned his day. It's, it's literally everything in his life. And then it, it's taken away from him because his hip hurts so bad. Yeah. And, and there's a, they do get into the psychological aspect of his pain and, and some different areas, but that's with these pros, especially when your life, I mean, your earnings, your family's survival, like all that depends on you playing golf. If you get an injury and then it's, you know, to use a big word, catastrophize, you just blow it out of proportion like crazy and right. panic. Yeah. I mean, that can be devastating. Yeah. I, to me, I really think I'll, him as an example or other people as an example, most of this I think is rearing how people are brought up, how they're shown to do these things. Sure. You know, obviously there are some personality traits that are built into people, genetically speaking. Sure. Um, but there is something to say for the fact that when you've been taught to, that all of these things to your point are catastrophized, like parents listening, don't get me wrong. I don't have kids, but if your little guy falls, don't sprint over and make it the biggest thing in the world that they fell or that something's scratched or that something is hurt because you start relaying those things in your mind as bad, 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 or I can get this as attention. Pain is very complicated that way. You know, we don't want to do that, but people's resilience to it or resilience in spite of it is really difficult. You know, I mean, I, the um, author Nassim Tlaib who wrote anti-fragile, it's a great yeah. book, great, great book. book. So he actually talks about resilience, not being enough. Like he talks about resilience being the, um, oh, what's the damn thing? The, not the griffin, but the creature that like blows up and then comes phoenix? back. The phoenix, the phoenix, griffin. I'm like, couldn't get, I kept going to Harry Potter. What Harry the hell Potter. is the name of that dang thing? Gryffindor, what? Yeah, I was, I was, I was on track. But the yeah. phoenix gets destroyed or blows up and comes back the way it was, which is great, but there's actually no change. It's still the right. same thing. Whereas if you are anti-fragile, you are like a hydra. Your head gets cut off and two pop up in its place, then two mm -hmm. more, then two more. So the idea of anti-fragility being that if pain comes in, you basically make it your own. And so that anti-fragile, your pain isn't setting you back. It's only making you better. It's not setting you back. It's only making you better. And I think we have to start really looking at that, especially with golfers, like young golfers. Like I've got a young kid right now. Like one of the things we talk about is, hey, pain is a very normal part of life, right? You're going to struggle with pain. And explaining that to a 12-year-old girl isn't exactly the easiest thing in the world. But starting to drop those hints of like, hey, you're going to have soreness. You're going to have injuries. The goal is how did you handle it? How are we? Are you getting better because of it? Are we affecting how your training goes? Are we looking at your sleep? Are we, you know, looking at your mental game? What are we doing to affect it? Because it's going to happen. And I want you to be one of those kids where when you're a pro someday, hopefully, and pain comes on, you're like, Psh, whatever. This is mine. You know, pain is my bitch. I make own it, it my own. Like you just that's own it. it. Right. That's a goal. And that's a hard thing to do. 
right? So it's a hard thing to wrestle with, but we need to start going that direction versus the current state of affairs where pain is like this big monster that just controls us. And the minute it shows its ugly head, we just cower. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great place to end. Word. <laughs> I, have, I, have nothing, I have nothing to add to that. I love it. I love it. I just you get, I like that we finished and I heard the little man in the background go, nah. He approves. <laughs> I don't think he said mom because that would be devastating to your ego. Yeah, no, that's not. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. He's too little, man. He can't say anything. He just makes a lot of, he just makes like, he, he makes down, cool down, sounds. Down, yeah. Little shrieks. Yeah, shrill little shrieks. Shriek. Oh, I'm sure when he's upset, I'm sure there's some sweet sounds. That <laughs> he opens up the lungs. He, de- he, he can definitely yeah. open up the lungs. Yeah, the worst is like the mouth is open and no sound has come out yet. Yeah, eyes squinted, mouth open. It's like, yeah, and then you're just waiting. You're just waiting. Like there's this quiet before the storm. Yeah. And then it's like the most high pitched sound you've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. It just pours out. Oh, and there's nothing you can do about it. Just like, no. Sorry, pal. I'd communicate with you, but you can't speak. <laughs> right. I'll just bounce you around a little bit and eh, it'll feel better. All right. Here we go. You're doing good. Oh, you just pooped up your back. Here we go. Here we go. Oh. Uh, We'll get uh, there. True. We'll get there someday. For now, I'll just I'm just gonna play Uncle Jackson. <laughs> there you go. That's all. That's all we need you for. Yes. Boom. Well, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our all over the place podcast. It's Friday afternoon. It's it's just we got there's little babies in the background. Pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> Crazy. That's it. But hopefully, hopefully you understand some things about what we just talked about. Yeah. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to either one of us because I know it's a topic where we both uh, talk about daily. No doubt about it. All right, folks, if you need anything, you know how to find us, jackson.golfstrong and tim.golfstrong on the social medias. Tap the bells and whistles and all the notification nonsense that there is. In the meantime, we're out. We'll catch y'all later.